0: Do you have big dreams, big plans? Well, you'll need a small rate. Royal Banks of Missouri can help build your future. Royal's home equity rates are at a historical low. And for a limited time, Royal Banks is offering one of the area's best home equity lines of credit. Call 314-212-1500 to talk to a representative today. Royal Banks of Missouri, investing in St. Louis for over 50 years. Member FDIC and Equal Housing Lender. Hello again everybody and welcome to the Keith Costas podcast. I'm Bob Ramsey and alongside the star of the show Keith Costas, MLB Network analyst, Keith, crazy week. Things keep changing, things keep going. It's baseball and it has been fun.
1: Yeah, absolutely. What do we have? 5 days left to go and it still feels like there's a there's plenty of action in front of us to figure out and debate and react to.
0: Well, with your St. Louis background and me being in St. Louis, we make a concerted effort to be a show that covers all of Major League Baseball and really kind of make that concerted effort to avoid being St. Louis-centric. However, unprecedented, well, maybe not unprecedented, certainly in the National League. And a few years ago when the Indians won 22 in a row, it was like, okay, this will never happen again. And the Cardinals are pushing it It with 17 in a row – uh, from a team that had been left for dead by me and many others a number of times throughout the season.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess they really haven't given us much choice to to at least start on them and focus on them a little bit. You know, over at MLB Network, a big part of what I do is work in the research department and help people get ready for these shows. And part of just our kind of daily bread and butter is putting together a big packet that basically has previews of every single game I was working on the Cardinals yesterday and you would think obvious first note 16 in a row and I didn't even end up starting with that because it just feels like everybody in the baseball world has seen just about every inning the Cardinals have played for the last week or so I mean all eyes have been on them and it's not just that they got to 17 as you know and everybody that's been paying attention knows the way these games have played out has just been outrageous I mean it's one thing after another if it's not a comeback victory late in the game it's going back to back twice or it's you know Sosa gets hit in the hand and oh okay here comes DeYoung and he looks like the DeYoung of a couple years ago for a couple games right off the bat so everything just keeps coming up roses for them but to me I know we hit on the outfielders last week and it's not exactly a hidden storyline with O'Neill and Bader and the way they've been swinging it but to me the biggest kind of takeaway from this entire run is just how crazy the last 12 months for the Cardinals have been I mean last year you've got a Rosarena, going absolutely bonkers in the postseason that completely clouds everybody's judgment. Understandably, myself included, I'll admit to it. It's just, he was so outrageously good that it almost blocked us from thinking logically about just about anything. It was such an emotional thing for the Cardinals to see their offense go flat and then this guy go crazy in the postseason. And then to counter it a year later with something even more ridiculous, like a 17-game winning streak, where, oh, by the way, the outfielders are at the center of everything and helping drive the team and then if that isn't enough it's all happening with the backdrop of whatever the hell the world has been for the last 18 months it's just i mean you could not come up with more extreme examples of how things have played out for the cardinals and you got to tip your hat to john mosaic i guess a lot of people and myself included again owe him an apology the patience has paid off with this group in the outfield.
0: yeah one one last thing about this streak and how they got there um everybody's looking for a moment a tipping point and I've, I've gone through the schedule and game by game, and I can't really find a moment. There are several things to me that started to line up. Um, obviously, um, uh, when Mosaic at the trade deadline gets Lester and Hap, um, and this is where I know you've seen it, where the Goldschmidt um, trajectory has risen and continues to rise yes. from day oh. one to... I presume the end of the season, that's the way the graph line goes. And then you start to put the other pieces in of of Lester getting red hot starting August 25th, O'Neill exploding. Um, Here's a guy I can't figure out. April, May, June, and August, Harrison Bader is one of the worst hitters in baseball for a regular player.
1: Mm
0: -hmm. And in July and September, and I'm not – I'm not over over exaggerating here. In July and September, he's he's Mike Trout. Yeah, yeah, I mean, look at the he's Mike Trout. I I give up. I can't figure it out.
1: Yeah, I mean, I thought going into the season that people were a little bit too critical of Bader. You know, people are searching for answers, like we talked about with the way that the outfield had performed, and you know, the Rosarain aspect that we just talked about. People were looking for a scapegoat, and it's understandable. I mean, Bader's been a frustrating player to watch at times, big peaks and valleys. But I always thought that if he could just kind of somehow settle into what we've seen is his kind of middle ground with the way he plays defense and the way he runs, you know, you can hit him seventh or eighth and win a world series, but with the way he's been swinging it now, I mean, he looks like he's back at Florida. He looks like some of those minor league seasons that he had at double A, where he would, he would basically be Mike Trout against left-handed pitching and just dominate lefties. And now you don't even have to go and look for a split. You don't tell oh, lefties right. or this type of pitcher. It's just, everything like you said and I mean if you just take a step back and look at it athletically I'm not saying that Harrison Bader is going to do this for 162 games or he's going to turn into a perennial all-star or anything but you just look at him physically why not why shouldn't this be what kind of player he is or at least the player he aspires to be he's basically playing the same style of game that he did in the SEC when he was teammates with Pete Alonso, and I think he hit 16 17 18 home runs which is a huge number in college yeah I mean this guy was a productive offensive player as an amateur and in the high levels of the minors. And I know he got to the big leagues with his defense, but obviously something's clicked here in these last couple of weeks. He's gone from a guy who a couple of years ago made those quotes that everybody up in arms about, well, it's hard to prepare for breaking balls and fastballs. Yes. That's sort of what playing major league baseball is about. But now all of a sudden he's on some kind of Juan Soto playing where he's locked in on everything. Lefties, righties, breaking balls, fastballs, off speed, everything. He's just been tremendous the last couple of weeks.
0: Let's uh let's get off the Cardinals. Um, they, they are the national story. Everybody gets it. They'll play on Wednesday. Let's try and figure out who they're going to play. I kept thinking over the last few weeks it's going to be the Dodgers. It's going to be the Dodgers, but the Giants aren't having it, and they're pretty close to locking that up. Having said that, the uh, the Dodgers really have the rotation set up exactly the way they need it for Scherzer to pitch in that. Um, in that first round single game playoff against the Cardinals.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think that's another very interesting aspect of this too. Obviously the Dodgers have known they're going to the postseason for quite a while, but how they manage that pitching, obviously if you've got Max Scherzer sitting there for the wild card game, a no hitter, a perfect game is is on the table. I mean, the shutouts on the table and obviously going six, seven innings and just putting in a typical workman like Max Scherzer outing is on the table. But to me, are the Dodgers going to play this the same way as the Cardinals are going to play this? Because you know the Cardinals are going to be all hands on deck. I guess you have to be all hands on deck in a wild card game. But the idea—let's just assume for a second that the Dodgers do win the wild card game. The idea that they didn't just have to play in that game after winning 100 plus, but potentially be in a situation where Dave Roberts has to think about maybe using Walker Buehler in the sixth or seventh yep. inning as a piece out of the bullpen, or you know, using Aureus to match up in a lefty situation depending on where they are in the lineup the fact that they might have to dip into that pitching in that wild card game, even if they get through, I think that's going to give people a lot of pause too. I know we talked a couple of weeks about, well, what if the Cardinals or at that point, some other team knocks off the Dodgers? Is that going to, is that going to lead to some kind of rule change in an off season where a lot of things are going to be up in the air? Yeah. Maybe just seeing how, even if the Dodgers get through, seeing how that affects them and kind of handicaps them going forward into that DS series is going to be enough to get that conversation going too, because you're right. I'm with you. I thought, All year, Dodgers, Yankees, at the end of the day, they'll figure it out, figure out a way to get in. Obviously, the division ship sailed a long time ago for the Yankees, but they've righted the ship a little bit here in terms of just securing that wild card spot. I thought the Dodgers would have a similar kind of trajectory in the division, but you said it, the Giants just aren't going anywhere, even with Brandon Belt out or things pop up left and right, and they just keep on plugging away with a full 26-man roster contributing. And It doesn't look like uh, the Dodgers are going to have enough time left to catch up to them, even though they're playing well. So we, we look
0: at the first place team, the Giants, that very few people believed in all along. And then you start to watch them and they just mash and mash and mash. But Brandon Belt out with a broken thumb. He is, you know, I've said for a couple of months, I think Crawford is the MVP, but he's hit two for them most of the year for a reason. He has had a dynamic, dynamic season in the two hole for them.
1: Yeah, he absolutely has. And, you know, a big part of like we just talked about with them has been the kind of whole roster contribution. I mean, to lead the league in home runs like they do with nobody, I mean, 30 is nothing to scoff at. But it's not like they have a Sal Perez on their team that's doing, you know, a huge percentage of the work. They're top to bottom. I think they have something like 13 or 14 players that have hit five home runs, which I know that doesn't sound like a lot. But I mean getting that kind of contribution where anybody can pop one at any time coming off the bench or anywhere in the lineup has obviously been a big part of their formula. But yeah, that belt Crawford Posey kind of trio being in there with that leadership has been a big part of the mix, but what they also have, and I know that the depth, like we said, is a big part of the equation, but Darren Ruff has basically been like a right-handed version of Max Muncy. I don't know how many people are aware of him playing out in the West coast and not be one of the bigger names on that team, but he's basically got that same kind of profile kind of walks, He's gonna get on base, he'll strike out a little bit, he'll hit a ton of homers. So they've got pieces that they can move around. That's obviously gonna kind of ding them on their outfield depth. And they've liked to the mix and match the platoon situation, rougher righty, belt the lefty, but it's not like they're uh they're out of options or they can't fill that hole. And Posey they can mix in at first base too. I know they've had a little bit more of a rigid plan with him and a kind of two yeah. on one-off situation and keeping him mostly behind the plate this year, but they've got pieces they can move around at the very least to uh, kind of cover that belt absence, but it is a big loss.
0: The Phillies uh, are, have their backs to the wall. Um, I was hoping and still holding out hope for maximum chaos that, (laughs) that the Phillies would get a game ahead and the Braves would have to play Colorado on Monday yeah, make up game. And then they'd be tied and have to meet on Tuesday to me. That is, would be the ultimate wild finish. It doesn't really look like it's going to happen.
1: Yeah, Philly really doesn't have much margin for error at all at this point. It looks like they're probably going to have to win out. I mean, that's not technically what the math is, but for all intents yeah. and purposes, they're probably going to have to win out if they want a realistic shot at this thing. So, yeah, it does seem like they faded away. It seemed like the division was just, you know, we've talked about it before. The Mets are going to end up with – they're going to have more days in first place than any team in major league history that ends up with a losing record. So that kind of tells you what that division has been for most of the year. I mean, the team that was basically in control from uh, early May to mid August, or, you know, really the bulk of the season pretty much uninterrupted is going to end up with a losing record, but give the Braves credit because they have been able to kind of put their foot Mm -hmm. down on the gas a little bit here at the end. It hasn't been the stiffest competition, but they've done their part here to kind of separate themselves a little bit in what has been a disappointing division and Philly just really, Ran out of time. Same thing. Don't have much room for air the rest of the way with five games left.
0: All right. Here's the big question. What the hell is going to happen in the American lead card? It is crazy.
1: Yeah, it absolutely is. And I got to give you credit, Rammer. I mean, we kind of talked about it because we had to talk about it. And it was kind of a fun story, Cinderella story, dark horse possibility. But where going, Seattle's right? not going anywhere. I mean, yep. you look at both leagues. And if you went into the season, kind of, I don't know, take your top 6 or 7 and say the five teams are probably going to come from this group. The only real surprises it's been wild how we've gotten there, but I think four of the five teams that end up in the playoffs in both leagues are probably going to be teams that a lot of people had with very very good shots to make the yep. postseason before. The difference is in the Bay Area basically. No one expected the Giants to be as good as they were obviously in the National League. And I think Oakland has kind of earned that sort of by default position of well, we know where they're going to win 85 to 95 games, somewhere in that range, pretty much every year. And, you know, I kind of had them penciled in as a wild card or a division yep. winner and they fade away and uh, Seattle's been able to stay right there in the race. And you mentioned him a couple of weeks ago, Mitch Haniger. he's back to that guy that they thought that he was going to be early in his career. He's put together a really, really nice month. I think he's got nine or 10 homers in September and that offense is going and they still have a shot. I can't believe it. I look up every day and think that Seattle's going to be toast, but they're hanging on.
0: Yeah. And you know, what's interesting about this whole race is if for those who are Seattle fans are just watching, keep winning and the, uh, the American league East is may cannibalize or yeah. at least the Yankees, if they stay as hot as they are all of a sudden going into Boston last weekend, and killing the Red Sox, and now they go into Toronto and beat them, or Giancarlo Stanton is, uh, yeah. the, the, uh, this, this may allow the 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 Mariners to get in there as the second team.
1: Yeah, and I mean, I know if you're the Mariners all the way on the other side of the country, and you look at the big, mighty Yankees who've had, what, 27, 28, 29, somewhere in that range, consecutive winning seasons, and here in Seattle, couldn't be further from that standard, the longest postseason drought in all of North American team sports, I know you look at the Yankees and think, well, that's a gigantic mismatch, but the truth is the Yankees, I mean, it's not that hard to figure out. Judge and Stanton have been great recently. And if one or both of them gets into a rut, they're a beatable team. I mean, Mm -hmm. they basically carry, I know that the names are there and the DJ LeMay of the world have been elite players in the not so distant past, but the reality is that those two guys have hit like 40% of the Yankees homers this year. And if they're not going, if that offense goes flat, and they suddenly become a beatable team. I know their bullpen has been great recently, but you know if those two get on track like they did, you mentioned Stanton. I mean, ten RBIs at Fenway over the weekend just kept it up in Toronto with another homer last night. But you know, one or two of those guys goes away, and all of a sudden that looks like a much different proposition. And on the flip side, in the American League East, all of a sudden Vlad Guerrero, he's in an O for eighteen, a yeah. poorly timed O for eighteen, Out of nowhere to say the least. I mean, we've seen that Toronto offense, you know, an homage to the late, great Joe Strauss, a bit of a Python attack. I think they have the most runs scored to the majors this month, but then you look at the game logs. Well, yeah, they've got some 18, some 23, some 22s, but they've been kind of hit or miss here recently too. So give Seattle credit. They haven't been the most exciting group of that bunch. I mean, they're the, they're the least distinctive group in terms of the players and the personalities involved by a mile in that wild card race, but they've also been one of the steadier teams. So, you know, kind of the same principle as what we talked about in the NL East. While chaos has kind of ensued around them, they've just kind of stayed the course and look up with five games left and they're, they're right there in the mix.
0: So you look at Houston, Tampa and the White Sox. Um, how do you see them playing out the rest of the week? And I, I always think it's fascinating to watch how a given manager plays that situation. Obviously it's a great problem to have, right. but you know, how much do you rest guys? Because, um uh, what's the old song in the heat of the moment? You want to keep guys, if they're on a run, keep them on a run. You want to help try and get over nagging injuries. You want to set up your rotation and watching the managers of those three teams try to set themselves up is going to be interesting as well.
1: Yeah. I mean, Houston and Tampa are playing right now. They still technically have something to play for. Houston's one win away from clinching the division. The Razor one win away from clinching home field throughout. That's going to happen one way or another for both of those teams but I mean look no further than last night's game old friend alert Michael Waka he's hit list through five innings with like 60 something pitches out of the game he goes he's fine with it Kevin Cash said it wasn't a hard decision Waka was cool with it so yeah obviously you look at something like that and their eyes are towards October understandably so so it would be nice if there was a little more on the line here with this series between Houston and Tampa to really kind of evaluate these teams going in to the playoffs, the top 2 offenses in baseball. They've got some pretty exciting pieces that are that are back in the mix. I mean, what Wander Franco's doing right now is just
0: Crazy. ridiculous.
1: A 42-game on-base streak and then on the Houston side, they've got Bregman back in the mix and he's homered the last two nights and has hit well. Since he's come back off the IL and if you know if you follow Houston the last couple of years, Alex Bregman has not been himself for the last really the last two seasons, shortened mm-hmm. season and for most of this season. And to me, he's kind of the straw that stirs, stirs the drink. There, I think he's the most talented player on the roster, even with all the talent they have. I think he's the best player there, and his personality kind of makes that group go. So, getting him back on course is a very good thing for Houston. But yeah, the series the last uh, the last week or so, it's it's kind of tough to draw any conclusions because, like you said, everyone has different goals. You know, kind of the same as how the Cardinals we were talking before we started the started the show here. What are these lineups going to look like? You know, chance to rest people and really light up that rotation. So that's probably what's going on with Houston and Tampa. Tough to draw any big conclusions from this series this week.
0: You know, and the thing about the White Sox, they don't have a gaudy record. Um mm-hmm. uh La Russa would slap me right in the face if he heard me say they could kind of cruise into things. He would he would go insane to hear that. Of course. but they kind of have um and, and 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 um it'll be interesting to see if they can really get that lineup kind of supercharged because to me, when I look at him up and down, maybe it's because Robert's back in there, Luis Robert and is doing really terrific things for them. But if they can get Abreu going at his best, that lineup can to me match Houston, match anybody else that'll be in postseason. And can they can there be a fire lit under them to really play as dynamic as I think they're capable of?
1: Yeah, well, a couple thoughts on the White Sox. And I know we talked about them a lot in the first half of the season, especially, but I think it is going to serve them very well that they kind of had to play those two different styles. You know, they played half a season without some of their big masters. Then they got their big masters back in the second half. So they've kind of figured out who can do what. They've been a small ball team. They've been a mashing team. They've been a team that at times was carried by frontline starters that were unbeatable for extended stretches of time. So they've kind of done it in a bunch of different ways. And I, you know, certainly trust Tony to, kind of build that all together in the postseason when the games are on the line. But, you know, going back to the edge and kind of coasting and the idea of playing for Tony, I know that we're on the same page here. And I was telling everybody when he was a hot topic, when he was first hired, I mean, the one thing I was certain of above everything else was that he was going to bring the team together through what everybody that watched him manage in St. Louis or Oakland or his first in Chicago knows that he's one of the most competitive people on the face of the earth. And that that will, that's what would bond the team together. So, yeah, they've been able to coast a little bit in terms of the record and what the actual implications of the results of these games are. But you look at what happened with Jose Abreu just a couple days ago with that little dust-up and a last week with Otani. And a Tony La Russa team is not going to get complacent. Maybe they don't have huge pressure on them to to get, you know, get rack up a bunch of wins at the end of the season for something that's actually going to affect seeding or matchups or anything like that. But the intensity level seems plenty high. Uh, not surprisingly, for a Tony-led team, even these last ten days or so in Chicago.
0: What's coming up on MLB Network?
1: So we're out of uh, we're out of games as far as game production stuff that we're doing. We've done our slate in this last uh, these last five or six days. We'll just be kind of whipping around the league, keeping track yeah. of uh, of all these races, and then we're gonna have two DS games on the AL side. We always go back and forth one year NL, one year AL. So we'll have one game exclusively on MLB Network in both of the ALDS series. Which games those are, which matchups those are. All still up in the air, but we'll have those uh, some point next week, two of those exclusive games. So
0: uh, for your department on the analysis side, I can only imagine this is like cramming for a
1: final. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Every day is quite quite the jaunt in the mornings to try and put together a big, gigantic packet of information that informs people that know way more about baseball than everybody writing those (laughs) games. Uh, you know, those people played in the major leagues, they know plenty, but we just try and kind of add a little bit of context where we can. And yeah, the postseason is a, is certainly a busy time, but it's kind of what makes the job all worth it. You know, party at the end of the season, a lot of work, but a lot of fun too.
0: So let's wrap things up with um, back to me. I still think the biggest question is who are going to be the two wild cards in the American league? Are we, uh, is it a consensus Yankees and somebody else? And, and who's your second team?
1: Uh, Yankees, I would be shocked if the Yankees – I mean, obviously anything could happen. They're two games up. But, I right. mean, I think the Yankees are more or less locked into that spot and I'll go with the Red Sox just because, you know, the same way you're rooting for chaos, I'm rooting for ratings. And Yankees Red Sox will be a <laughs> bonanza next week. So I'll be a it's company business. man and say, give me Yankees Red Sox.
0: It's a business. There's no question about exactly. it. And I'll root for uh, – I always root for the underdogs. That's why I'm always so bitter because underdogs usually <laughs> lose. Um, uh, so I'll root for the Mariners to get in there against the Yankees. Keith, looking forward to it. And um, uh, lots of coffee. Sleep when you can. And October is going to be great um, for everybody, including MLB Network. Keith, thank you very much.
1: Yep, Amber, thank you.
0: That's Keith Costas. I'm Bob Ramsey, and this has been the Keith Costas Podcast on Online.
1: Every day, Amron, Illinois works to deliver reliable energy throughout the state to on-the-go families, in-the-know grandparents, and busy students. But did you know we also have ways to manage your energy? Paperless billing, outage notifications, pick a due date, auto pay, and so much more. So no matter who you are or how you use your energy, there's an option that's right for you. Learn more at AmerenIllinois.com options.